The Healthy Steps show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Hello out there, my dear friends and devoted listeners to the Healthy Steps Radio Show, and thank you for keeping your radio dial tuned to WMNF Tampa. Just knowing that you're out there is a truly exquisite way to start my day. And of course, welcome to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey. Today he's joined by Betty Murray, the founder of Living Well Dallas Functional Medicine Center. And you are encouraged to participate in today's show by calling 813-239-9663 or sending your emails to dj at wmnf.org. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. Welcome to the show, Betty. Let me step away from the microphone and let Dr. Harvey introduce you and start the show. And of course, top of the morning to you, Dr. Harvey. This is going to be a great show, so take the wheel, Doctor. It's all yours. Thank you once again, Bill, and happy Monday to all. I am really delighted. I met Dr. Betty Murray last year at the Mindshare Collaborative Mastermind Group, and she is just special, and we're going to have fun today. She's a nutrition expert, a PhD researcher, a certified functional medicine practitioner, and recognized speaker. She loves to help women over 40 harness their hormones to lose weight, optimize sleep, restore energy, and thrive in life. You know, during her research for her PhD, Betty made some very interesting discoveries that helped her devise a plan that lead to balancing the hormones and metabolic problems that women over 40 experience. And, you know, restoring these metabolic pathways is the basis of her signature hormone reset program. And so what we want to do today is talk about how one can get mastery over menopause and optimize their uh, best life. This CEO of Living Well Dallas Functional Medicine Center is ready to talk with us. So welcome, Betty. Thanks for coming. Gosh, thank you for having me, Fred. I'm excited to be here. Yes, me too. Um, we have talked about estrogen numerous times in the past, but never with an expert, just with me. Well, I'm an expert, but now you're the real specialist here. And we want to talk about, you know, how the, the changes in estrogen metabolism that happen around the perimenopause period into menopause really lead to changes that make it difficult for women to achieve that optimal health feeling and, and, and function. Tell me more about what you're, you know about this. So, you know, it's interesting. So it's estimated that about 90% of women, as we enter into the transition of menopause, experience some weight gain. And so, you know, part of that is as a woman, our our average metabolism slows about 5% for every decade over 20 years of age. So you're expecting, you know, if we look at the stats and the research, that means we gain about 10 to 15% increase in body weight as we go through that, you know, 40s to 50s. And, you know, I looked at it when I went to look from at my research and I was like, gosh, you know, we seem to pay this exorbitant price for reproductive activities, you know, and part of it is evolutionary, right? We, we as women need to have a body that can conserve. So if, if, if we don't have the ability to keep some extra body fat, we would not be able to possibly raise a, a, a fetus to a baby in the situation of starvation. So, you know, we have to understand that our sex hormones, particularly estrogen, and progesterone, those are the two the two major groups, uh, have a significant impact on our metabolism. 
You know, um, I've heard it over many years. You know, I've been doing this for for a couple of decades, as have you. And and we know we've heard it. There's a lot of dogma when it comes to discussing weight loss and optimal function. There's a lot of good science backing up the sincere, but albeit limited, advice that we see on social media. You know, sound bites can't quite do it. But weight loss advice is often really oversimplified. You know, for years we talked about caloric deficit eating and the idea that just cutting carbs to control insulin will result, will result in fat burning or, or 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 that a slow thyroid uh, might be the cause. I mean, I remember that back in the 70s when I was a teenager, there were women getting uh, uh, armor thyroid tablets to help them lose weight and that, you know, stress and cortisol and, you know, there's truth in all of these things, but it's kind of short-sighted as you and I have discussed and, and you know, there's other things that not getting talked about. What what do we need to understand here that goes deeper? You know, so so part of it is is definitely if we look at it, I'll use the American population since we're we're in the United States, but it's estimated that almost 88% of us have some degree of insulin resistance. So what that means is is that our body's ability to utilize sugar, blood sugar, appropriately and take it to particularly the muscle cells in the brain to burn is inefficient. So what it really means is we've lost some of this metabolic flexibility, right? So the the body says, okay. I'm not going to be really good at burning glucose, but when I have insulin levels that are climbing because my body can't hear it anymore, that means we can't burn fat because it kind of acts like a seesaw. You know, so I started looking at what's really happening, and there's a bunch of things that happen as a woman loses that estrogen and, and that decade before where it's fluctuating wildly, and, and estrogen actually has an effect on the powerhouse of our cell that is intimately involved in the actual activity of burning fat and burning sugar. And so it's not just insulin resistance, that's an oversimplification. It's the fact that our hormones rule the roost and it's not just our metabolic hormones like insulin that manages sugar, it's really also the effect of sex hormones that drive some of that activity. That's so true. Um, you know, people think about testosterone as being a lean body mass drug, but in females, um, estrogen uh, deficiency results in bigger hip fat pads. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that estrogen does, like just give better energy and better well-being. Um, so you mentioned that you found some really interesting uh, triggers, these very key points. Um, one of them is a key cellular fat switch. What what's goes on when, when estrogen goes down? Okay, so when we, you know, so when we lose our estrogen as we go through menopause, and I want to sort of back up and just explain that. When we look at it medically, menopause is a single day in a woman's life when you've gone one year since the last time you had your period. But what it really is, is this transition process that could be anywhere from 18 years, average is eight. And, and it's, and so it's a, it's a changing and fluctuating process. But when we start to see that loss of estrogen, when you're really in menopause, we have a mechanism inside our cells, right? So the cells are a powerhouse and we have a powerhouse in there called the mitochondria. And that powerhouse can be turned up or turned down, just like you might have a dimmer switch on a light. The mechanism of that turning up and turning down is intracellular, so inside the cell, levels of a thing called uric acid. And it was actually the work of Dr. Um, gosh, his name's Rick, and now I'm going to draw a blank. 
um, Rick Johnson, and I want to say mm-hmm. he's in uh, University of Colorado, that really, really looked at this, and he's got several other researchers that looked at it. But in all animals, this activity of uric acid rising within the cell basically is a dimmer switch on the powerhouse. And this is, so to give everybody context, bears hibernate. Mm-hmm. And it's actually the rise of uric acid inside the, the cells of the bear that allows them to gain weight so they can hibernate throughout the winter time and not have to consume food. And, and every animal, every, every organism that has a cell has this mechanism. Well, what we see as women go through menopause, we have a natural increase in uric acid production. So it seems that estrogen has this positive regulation on uric acid. So as a woman, that's, that's automatically saying, okay, all of our powerhouses in every single cell is now going to be running at half mast. Yeah, and I've noticed that um, and, and older women tend to get more gout when they eat the same diet because their metabolism is getting sluggish because estrogen really is a stimulation for the liver to do more work. Um, when you are uh, using estrogen, it triggers a bunch of different um, metabolic activities in the mitochondria. And that's what's really key here. The mitochondrial health is what keeps things going. Um, and and so that's where the production and degradation and transformation and elimination of all these hormones goes on. So Betty, tell us what you uh, what your opinion or what your uh, approach to mitochondrial health is. You know, so I, I think there's several things. So so first off, we often have to make dietary changes. You know, so if we're working with hormones, we, we already know that the majority of people have insulin resistance. And insulin resistance is not the same throughout the body. So the muscles are the first one to become resistant. The liver, once it becomes resistant, it basically becomes a fat-producing and glucose and glycogen producing machine, basically blocking your ability to to basically remove fats from your cells and actually utilize them properly. And then obviously the production of uric acid is one of those things. So the first thing I always start with is diet. We have to look at what we're eating. So some of the things that naturally cause an increase in uric acid and also are really difficult for the liver are things that all of us, and I'm sure Fred, you talk about this all the time, high fructose corn syrup, high levels of fructose, mm-hmm. high levels of sugar, um, alcohol intake. And what's interesting is some of the things that I would say women love most, your aged foods, cheese, mm-hmm. charcuterie, <laughs> you know, olives, all of those really uh, umami foods that have this deep, rich flavor, all of that aging and things like yeast and other things that can be present in the food rapidly raise uric acid. So a lot of Another times- Another one here is um, in Florida, we have shrimp, and oysters and all these shell, these are really high purines and they contribute too, especially if you have it with fructose. So if you're having your oyster with a uh, a ketchup-based cocktail sauce or your shrimp with the ketchup-based cocktail sauce that has high fructose corn syrup in it, it's a double whammy. Exactly, so those high purine foods. So we have to watch that. But the other thing is we need to support the body's and particularly the liver's ability to detoxify and get rid of not only our our toxins that we may come in contact with, but our own body toxins, because the liver is really prime here. You know, so, so we, we watch those uric acid foods, but then we also support liver detoxification, particularly of estrogenic sort of compounds and other things by eating a diet of high in vegetables, things like the brassica family, your broccoli, your kale, your Brussels sprouts, you know, your, your, uh, 
um, alum family, so onions and sulfur-bearing foods, all of those things, you know, people go, well, why should I eat vegetables? It's not just the vitamins in those foods. It's actually all these polyphenols and other nutrients that your body uses to actually help clean up your environment inside the body and what you come in contact with. So you have to support the liver. It's so true. And um, we're on public radio and we have to support this radio. And it's really great when our listeners engage. I just want to remind everybody that we are on WMNF 88.5 FM. And that is so true. And if you're just tuning on in, you're listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. And his guest today is Dr. Betty Murray. And you're encouraged to participate, as the doctor said, by calling 813 813- Two three nine nine six six three. Greg, aka DJ Spaceship, is waiting for your phone calls, and you can send emails to DJ at WMNF.org or text us at eight one three four three three zero eight eight five. Back to you there, Doctor. Well, thank you, Bill. And I just got an email um, from David, and he asked a really interesting question. He has spoken with a few women bodybuilders who say they need to take a break from competing because they want to have kids. The stress on the body and mind from getting muscular and lean is antithetical to childbearing. Would you address this? Absolutely. So I'm glad you asked this question. I actually had a period of time in my life. I'm 53 right now, but in my late 20s and early 30s that I got very into bodybuilding and, you know, got the body fat level down low, which was very difficult for for me in particular to do. I don't have, I'm not what I would say is metabolically uh, enhanced in (laughs) naturally. And so when when we look at what's really happening in the body, a woman with very lean body mass often will start to experience things like a cessation of her period because we have to have about 10 to 12% body fat at a minimum just for our hormones to be produced correctly. So that's actually what brings on our period as a young girl. It's actually the increase in body fat. So if I run my body fat down to 14%, I'm probably not going to have a period. And I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be producing my hormones properly, which means I will not be fertile. And so often you have to take a break from that. And, and so we do have some body fat that we need to have to have appropriate hormone production. Yeah, that's so true. Um, you know, cholesterol is often demonized when in actuality, it's one of the most important molecules we can ingest and create in our body because it's the backbone for every one of our sex hormones and our stress hormone cortisol. And so, if we are uh, really on an extremely low fat diet, um, a vegan diet that gets no animal uh, fat in there, we're at a deficit for making cholesterol. And so we have to catch up in, in, in other ways. Uh, one of those is getting some lecithin on board. And the problem with that is that most soy is genetically altered. So soy lecithin, unless you can find it really clean, is a questionable food source. Um, Non-GMO uh, sunflower lecithin is another option. I've seen more of that showing up. Um, but uh, yeah, that's it's really key to um, uh, keep things metabolically active. And you mentioned that there were some other triggers that you had noticed beyond the uric acid. Yes, yes. So, so we've already brought up fructose and high fructose fructose corn syrup is not your friend. Now, I want to give a caveat to that. If you're having an apple in its natural form, not juiced. It has natural fiber and the fructose levels in it are relatively low. So food in its natural form. Well, fructose basically metabolizes in the liver like alcohol without the buzz. So think about it that way. Every time you have an agave margarita or you have ketchup, you're basically drinking beer without the buzz. So 
what the problem is, is fructose gets preferentially stored as a triglyceride and then gets stored as fat, right? It doesn't have the control of insulin, so it really makes the liver struggle. There's a pathway in the body called the polyol pathway, and it's how the body can make fructose out of glucose. And so what's interesting is if you start digging through the research, that mechanism is amplified once we go through menopause. And what even makes this more insidious, and again, this is somebody else's work, not my own, um, they found if we're slightly dehydrated, and this applies to both men and women, if we are slightly dehydrated and we have a high carbohydrate meal or even a relatively normal carbohydrate meal, that polyol pathway or the, or basically the conversion of glucose to fructose is amplified. So you could be somebody that's eating pretty well reducing high fructose corn syrup and those kind of things. But if you're chronically dehydrated, you may turn this up. And if you're a woman, you automatically have it turned up. So we have to be very mindful of what we're eating because we don't hibernate. We don't need that. Right. We don't want to develop the levels of uric acid that bears do so that we can hibernate because they cause heart disease, brain disease, and all kinds of other problems for us. We don't need that. And um, so I've... Um, uh, there's an interesting other part of this we haven't even looked at yet, and that is like assessing our hormones. And there are several different ways we can go out and look at the hormones. Um, I've I've used several, um, and um, I, I've gravitated back towards salivary recently because of the lack. I, I really like the the Dutch test. But it doesn't assess progesterone directly; it only assesses metabolites. But I love the metabolites, so I I've been using different methods because the metabolites are really important, but so are the actual numbers. So I use saliva to look at those. Uh, how are you doing your assessments? You know, in a perfect world, I'd love to have all three. I'd love to yes. have blood, saliva, and urine, but a lot of times these tests aren't covered by insurance. So, you know, trying to be as frugal as possible is often important. So salivary levels, just so everybody kind of understands, show what's free and available. So that's your hormones getting out of a taxi cab and they're able to go kind of attach themselves to their cell and turn on what they need to do. Because blood levels, you can't distinguish what's in and out of the cab. Right. And then urine, you can see in some cases, other than progesterone, you can see what's out and available, but then you can see how you get rid of it. So how you mm -hmm. metabolize it. I often use a combination of saliva and urine because um, particularly in my research, and this was very true from my own experience, it, a lot of my problems when I hit perimenopause came from the fact that I am a terrible detoxer or, you know, basically getting my estrogen compounds to the trash can. I don't do it well. And so when I entered into perimenopause and my estrogen's wildly fluctuating, all the terrible symptoms that are associated with menopause came on like a freight train. And so urine helps you look at that. So we often get it down to what do we need to individually look at in, in somebody, but it's often a combination of the saliva and urine, particularly if we have people within our clinic, our medical professionals that might be managing hormones, we like to see both. Yeah, I really like that too. It's it's come around a long way. Um, um, I, I've had lots of hit and misses, but I think that is the best method. And um, you hit on something really important. We'll get back to it. And that is the metabolites, the metabolism, and the fact that you have bad metabolism. Not everybody does. And this is where we get back to talk about genetics. But first, we have three callers on. So let's talk with Jerry. Okie dokie. Well, let's not be confusing people now here. We got Jerry from Sarasota and then Jerry from St. Pete. Let's go to Jerry from Sarasota. Good morning, Jerry. Hey, good morning. Uh, great show. Love it when you're on, Doc. My question reverts back to the bodybuilding. I'd like you to yes. discuss uh, a lot of the... I've been training since the 70s, 
and I've seen the different trends of supplements and illegal supplements. I've always been natural, but the young kids today, they've been using a product called it's S A R M S Sarms, and uh, apparently it's an artificial or synthetic steroid base and the dangers of it. Have you are you familiar with it? Well, um, I'll just say first off, synthetic hormones cause problems. Period. So I'll let Betty run with that afterwards. <laughs> you know, I'm not familiar. I'll be, just be really honest. I am not familiar with that compound. But I will second what Dr. Harvey said is the, the challenge with those synthetic hormones is, number one, they're not identical to what our body makes. So they have to be additionally detoxified. And often the synthetic hormones, whether it's the steroids, the anabolics, you know, I, I was bodybuilding back in the day. And so there was a lot of, you know, I was never, you know, I was always natural, but I was around people who weren't and they were using anabolics that are like veterinary things and, and, and they, they preferentially block other pathways. So they often cause problems because they're not what our body produces. I wish I knew what that one was. Now I'm going to have to look it up and, and get a little more educated about it. It's, it's very prevalent. They block, they've stopped, uh, not allowing college kids to use, you know, athletes and whatever, Mm. but it's, uh, you know, and most of it's coming from China. So there's, absolutely no control on it and right. it's right in the gray area it's not illegal and it's not legal so i'd like to say right. so for anybody out there listening uh, since the <laughs> 70s all the big guys that i knew in the gym that were doing the roids 80 percent of them are all dead you know they all died of cardiovascular diseases and other diseases so if you, if you dance you got to pay the piper it's yeah. true and and i think what really shows up there well for one thing sarms are selective androgen receptor modulators so they work like testosterone at the testosterone receptor but they don't work like testosterone because they're not testosterone and then when they metabolize through the liver they they turn into usually carcinogenic compounds because our liver doesn't know how to actually metabolize them because they're not natural compounds. They may even be carcinogenic to begin with. And so um, what we also know about bodybuilding, and I did it for several years. Actually, I started with a low testosterone. I actually had a, a, a testosterone of like 97 when I started. But as I cleaned up my life and I cleaned up my body and I did the bodybuilding, I stopped. I forgot to take the testosterone for four months. And I checked my level and it was actually mid-range normal. So uh, I it, it was <laughs> I gave it up and I think that we can do most of this stuff completely naturally. We don't need to overdose with steroids to get uh, a beautiful body. We can just use our mind, our nutrition, our exercise and our good sleep and good water. That's really what we need. So thanks Jerry for that call. Yep. I think I need more than that for a beautiful body. I'm kind of let that slip away over the years. Um, I'm going to tell folks that if you're just tuning in, of course, you're listening to Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey and his guest, Dr. Betty Murray. And we're encouraging you to give a call at 813-239-9663. Greg will answer your calls and welcome you to the show. You can also send us emails to dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. And Jerry from St. Pete's been waiting patiently. Let's let him in. Good morning, Jerry. Hey, folks. Good morning. Um, hey, uh, speaking of bears, you guys are, you docs are not afraid to tackle the bear. Very impressive. <laughs> very, very, very impressive. So I'm going to give you, you're already talking about diet, which was one of my things, um, and then basically the more towards vegetative diet. But um, I'm going to give you two choices, and you can take your pick. So I have a little bit of experience in this department. 
So um, I guess the priority would be, one, like say you're out there in a relationship and your wife's going through menopause, and some women just seem to cruise through it, and some women have a very, very difficult time with it. So what I'd like to hear from you guys and girls are the, the women, are the most, the most your best advice to, to someone who's experiencing this. And um, the second one would be, oh, um, well, my wife refused to take estrogen, like horse-based estrogen, and Ooh, she yeah. just wouldn't do it. And um, maybe you can elaborate on that at your will, and I'll, I'll take my answers offline. And thanks again. Great show. I mean, what, you know, how do you keep outdoing yourselves? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Thank you. Glad to, glad to help, you, help you lots. It's fun. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Betty, this one's right in your alley. It is. It is. So, so, you know, the beauty of being a nutrition professional is I can look at the research. I don't have any vested interest because I don't prescribe. So he's right. Some women can sail through menopause and they don't have hot flashes. They sleep fine. They don't gain weight. They don't lose their hair. Their libido's okay. And then other ones of us go through it and it's like, you know, dropping into the seventh circle of hell to some degree, right? So, so a lot of that is determined by our genetics and how our body actually processes those hormones. So you could have two women going through the exact same experience with a lot of differences in how they experience it. Um, so, you know, so then that brings us to, what, what, what would be the appropriate from hormone replacement? Should you do it or not? So I'm a proponent of bioidentical hormone replacement, which means that the hormone that you're taking, think of it as a key, that that key is the exact same key as your original key. It's not a skeleton key that kind of looks like it and sort of fits like it. Um, the, what's commonly prescribed is a drug that's an equine, basically made from horse mare urine, right? So it's got 17 different estrogens in it. We only make three, so those 14 have to be detoxified. And in, I will say in some of the research, there's probably one of two of those urine metabolites from horse mare urine that may be beneficial, but we still have like 11 of them that aren't. Mm -hmm. So, and if you take an oral estrogen that is not bioidentical, but any oral estrogen, it has to pass through the liver and get detoxified before you use it, which just Mm -hmm. adds additional burden. So, why a lot of women, particularly in the last two decades, have been frightened to take hormones is because of the Women's Health Study, the Women's Health Initiative. And this study um, was so poorly done, it needs to be retracted. And unfortunately, it keeps getting parroted out there in the industry. And essentially what they did is they took women, their average age was over 65, never having been on hormones. So most women go through menopause by about an average age of 52. And so they had gone long after their hormones were long gone, which we think really the receptors don't work when you've gone that far out. And they excluded healthy populations. When they did that study, they gave Prempro, which is a combination of synthetic progesterone and synthetic estrogen and Premarin. And then women who had nothing. What they found was the women that were on Prempro had an increased risk of stroke and heart attack and they stopped the study. And that was really the synthetic progestin in it that did it. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened was, is that study was still going through peer review. They sent it to the press. The press picked it up and ran with it. And so it was the most expensive study ever done prior to that, you know, or at that point. And so it has been parroted again and again, and it has been presented as it is that taking hormones for women is going to increase your breast cancer risk. You know so, something? Can I interrupt? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, it was so crazy because I, I, I love to listen to NPR. And in 2001, when that study was published, I was listening to NPR, driving, commuting um, somewhere. Um, I think at that point I might have been still in an ER. But um, 
I heard Dr. Love, I can't remember what her first name is, but Dr. Love was actually the head researcher for that study. And she said three very important things. One, that this study specifically looked at estrogen from horses and a synthetic progestin. And you can't extrapolate from this study to any other estrogen or progesterone. And then she said that um, I can tell you that um, the results of this study do show some negatives, but the uh, my colleagues and the FDA and the the um, uh, um, media will all run with this and say estrogen is bad, progesterone is bad, and they indeed did. And black boxes showed up on everything, but they actually are lying about all these other things because you can't extrapolate. And that's the the sad part of this study. They proved that synthetic estrogen and synthetic uh, uh, progestin are bad for humans. Well, who would have known? <laughs> synthetic toxins, bad. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, so, so what did what did the data really show? So you have to look past the abstracts and then the media parroting what they want to parrot because it's sensational. Mm -hmm. So the data showed anybody, the women taking progesterone, the synthetic progesterone, synthetic estrogen did have an increased risk of stroke and heart attack and breast cancer. The women that had nothing didn't really have any increased risk, so they were the control. The women who had just just Premarin, synthetic yes. estradiol, actually had a reduced risk of breast cancer. All right, so, so then if we look at the totality of the study, a woman over the age of 50 has a four in 1,000 chance for breast cancer. If you take the totality of this study and actually run the data, the slight increased risk that we saw even in the synthetic progestin and estrogen was five in 1,000 risk. So the relative risk and the absolute risk is null. So the challenge is, is now women have been told they're going to die if they take bioidentical hormone or any kind of hormone replacement. So now their risk for heart attack and stroke match men, age matched. So we are going to, one out of two women will die of heart disease. And we are, have more fatal heart attacks than men. The first one is more fatal. And we're going to have problems with osteoporosis and higher risk for dementia. And so, also breast cancer incidence has increased over the last 20 years. Yep. Yep. It has not decreased. And so looking at that, I believe that bioidentical hormone replacement is a good choice. You want to replace all the hormones, progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone into a, a matched amount that your body would have normally produced during cycling, because that not only reduces symptoms, but it allows our body to use these hormones appropriately. If estrogen was so damning and progesterone was so damning, every 25-year-old that was pregnant would have breast cancer. Right. But having a, a, a child before age 25 reduces your risk of breast cancer significantly. I think it's 25%. So that's, that's, does that answer your question, Jerry? Jerry's no longer on the line there. Okay. But so, I do have Lewis there, and I'm going to get to him in just a second. But I want to remind folks that you're listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey. And I can't say it enough how glad I am that he has as his guest today, Dr. Betty Murray. And we're encouraging you to give a call to 813-239-9663. And Greg will answer your call and put you on the air. And continue sending your emails to dj at wmnf.org. Let's go to Lewis. Good morning there, Lewis. Well, uh, good morning. I am just calling because I, I heard you go through a segment about bodybuilders. And, and I've always been uh, doing aerobic exercises. I'm 64 I you know, did marathons when I was in my 20s, and then as I got older, uh, you know, I played football, and I was a lineman for the power company, and my knees just kind of went out. But now I bike, 
uh, like by 10 to 20 miles a day and I feel great. Fantastic. And I don't have a need to really body build, you know, or just a little bit of upper body just to keep it toned. And you did mention something now that was encouraging for me. My, my youngest daughter just had her first child just at 25. So I don't know if there was a benefit for that. That's good to know as far as breast cancer. But going to my other love of my life, my wife, she's six years younger than me. So she's 58 and she's lost a lot of her libido. She's heavy. Mm. She's had a rough time with the menopause. And she's going to a doctor. And I don't know anything about um, the if you get the medicine, like estrogen supplement, or I don't know if a woman that's that, I mean, you have a, a, a lady there. She might be the best one to answer. Is, is it better to have testosterone or estrogen supplement if you're having menopause things? And the other thing is diet. My wife's heavy, and we're trying to really, um, I'm trying to help her. You know, we use olive oil, and we do eat well, but she doesn't exercise at all. Mm. You know, she says, oh, I'm working around the house. I said, sweetheart, that's not, <laughs> that, that's exercise. I'm not knocking that, but I mean. You need to do some really, really, you know, decent aerobic exercise. I think, or does that matter? I, I think aerobic exercise is really helpful, and just want to see what you guys think. So, go ahead, Betty. Uh, I'd be more than happy to answer that. So, um, really, honestly, from a hormone standpoint, it's uh, think about these things as a symphony. So, if I just add estrogen. All I added was the was the horn section, right? So that means I've just got horns. So it's important that if somebody's doing hormone replacement that they are being managed appropriately. And I think women do need some testosterone, estradiol, and progesterone bioidentical. And you want them together. You can't just give one and see the same results. Now, the question about your, your wife's experience, um, like I said, there's so many things that happen to us as women that change our ability for our metabolism to work properly. But one of the things that is is important is we got to remember that there's different forms of movement that we do. There's NEAT, which is your non-exercise related activity. That's the stuff you do every day, walking around, doing stuff around the house. Your body adapts to that and it's not really metabolically challenging for your body. What's interesting though, if you look at the studies and you look at cardiovascular exercise, so we're talking about like running, cycling, where your heart rate is, is in that sort of cardiovascular range, which is above a fat burning range. It doesn't show that it is really effective for women, particularly once we're through menopause. Not that cardio isn't part of a good exercise routine, but women that get on a bike or, or get on an elliptical trainer for an hour are not going to see a positive effect. Um, what we do see is women need to lift weights. And I would say it's true for men too, because it's really important to build muscle mass. Um, and, and it's very difficult to build muscle mass as we get older, but it's very easy to lose. Yes. And so weight training in women and doing interval training for women metabolically drives a lot of the cellular mechanisms that we were talking about earlier in a more positive way. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I tell all of my women, and especially my women with osteoporosis, because I have a specialty in that too, is that they must weight train. So I'll give you an example. The average 65-year-old that may, let's say, injure themselves, let's say they sprain their ankle, can lose up to five pounds of lean muscle mass if they are laid out for a couple weeks and then able to get around, and they will not gain it back, whether they're male or female, because it is so hard for us to synthesize muscle. So the more we can do to keep it and build it, the better. 
Yeah, what sarcopenia is one of the worst things that we can experience um, as we age because it is, I agree, so hard to get back. And for men and women, um, some resistance training um, like two to three times a week is really important along with your regular uh, conditioning, aerobic, walking, biking, whatever. Yeah, I'm a cyclist. I love to cycle. It's part of my game. <laughs> yeah, I just started doing the, uh, they have like a, like isothermic where you'd have these weights that like you're really working against your own body weight. And I, I have lost, I mean, as a lineman, I used to carry these like 30 foot ladders and I, I still have one. And I tried to take one out the other day and put up some Christmas lights. I was like, geez, man, have I lost some strength? So I, I, that's why I want to start doing a little bit of upper body. I, you know, I was kind of just focused on the aerobics. So that's just for me, for my wife, I guess the, you're, you're saying the upper body is a really much more helpful than the aerobics, which I, I didn't think of that. So I'm going to bring that to her attention. And then if, if she goes to her, um, her gynecologist or OBGYN, I forgot the title, but so she should look for both estrogen and testosterone uh, in a managed form. And progesterone. Mm -hmm. And I will say this, when women need to weight train, we need to weight train below the waist. Mm -hmm. Doing arms does nothing for women. So you do need, men. You need to squat. And men, you need to squat. You need to lift heavy things. Yeah, squats and lunges in men can increase your testosterone if you do them regularly by like 10%. Mm, easily. You know, I, you know, I have to be careful about that because I have a dislocated spine. So I have to, that, that, I'm getting help with that chiropractically. But I, you know, really that kind of like bend and squats and stuff I did doing football, I have to really watch out for that now. But I can still lift. I can bench press like all day long and I can do, uh, there's like these like swing devices that you swing your muscles back. It's, 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 it's interesting. There's a lot of cool devices out, even in public parks now that I, I find really interesting as far as working. But and you know, seated, seated leg presses are a safe way to do your squats that protect your back. Yeah. Right. And you don't think that, I mean, I, I, I would contend though that I am, building muscle mass, at least in my legs, the way I bike. I mean, I'm really, mm -hmm. I'm really going at it. So I, I so my, my legs are always been like strong, you know, even when I play ball. Um, but my upper body is definitely something I, I actually, I realized I, I need to, you know, get a little more attention on it. And two days a week, you think is enough, you know, just if you have a half That's a great, that's a great start. Definitely. Okay. And Lewis, thank you. We have more callers yeah, on the line, I think. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys. Appreciate your help. Yeah, we absolutely do. We've got Helen and Chris. Let's go to Helen. Good morning, Helen. Welcome. Hi. I'm uh, wondering what you know about uh, women taking Paxil in replacement of estradiol. Because I had a total hysterectomy, so I have no hormones. That was when I was 46. And... Um, <clears throat> well, I hit 50, and they wanted to take me off of them because they said it's not healthy to be on estrogen after you hit 50. And I had the hot flashes so bad, they were coming like every 30 minutes and crying and grumpy. And so the doctor, the gynecologist gave me Paxil. I'm like, I'm not depressed. <laughs> 
Well, here's an interesting here's an interesting thing that I found out in in practice of hormone management and neurotransmitter management and I have had women who have ideal hormone levels and still have hot flashes and what I found is serotonin levels are low and when you actually can raise those it helps and that's why they figured out this um, uh, new reason to prescribe an SSRI. It helps with menopause and perimenstrual peri, uh, syndrome symptoms. Uh, perimenstrual depressive disorder is a fake uh, disorder that was created by pharma to sell more Prozac. And that's exactly where you are. They didn't actually do what was necessary. Take it, Betty. You know what's going on here, don't you? Definitely. So, so Paxil, Paxil is an antidepressant, SSRI. And when, especially when the Women's Health Initiative came out and what was common practice for decades of giving women hormone replacement as they went through menopause basically was, you know, um, bastardized in the medical community and, you know, changed. The standard refrain became, oh, women are just depressed. They just need an antidepressant. And it is because serotonin and managing serotonin levels does reduce the most common symptom of hot flashes. But, you know, the, the, um, the problem is, is those drugs alter your brain metabolism. And when you withdraw them, your body has to recover from that. So often the symptoms come back, but it doesn't get down to the underlying issue of your hormones being low, right? And not, not being adequate. Well, I just don't have any. They took my yeah. ovaries also. Right, yes. right. So that they were covering up the symptoms that you receive that you received from having a total hysterectomy where they took out all your hormone producing ovaries, right? And so they were trying to cover up the other side of it. And we've got to remember hormones, and like Dr. Harvey said, and your brain chemistry work together, but your hormones are bigger messengers. They're much, much bigger messengers. And so when we lose, particularly estrogen, we usually have some emotional side effects from that. You know, some people get weepy and upset or angry. I can tell you if I don't have any hormones, I'm the most even keeled person you'll ever meet, but I wake up angry. <laughs> I just do. Oh, God. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's very obvious. So how does that help you, Helen? So what does, so is it not safe or what do I, am I supposed to take something else? Like, um, um, a supplement. I'd recommend that. I'd recommend that you get in touch with a functional medicine practitioner like uh, our good guest today, because I think Betty has a really good program for getting people back into uh, a, a functional uh, a life and a happy, joyful life. So. Um, uh, remember that you can go to the healthystepshow.com website and on there, the show notes will be there and you can get the information on my guests. And Betty, why don't you just give your contact information here, how to get a hold of you? Sure, sure. So um, from the web, it's Betty Murray, B-E-T-T-Y-M-U-R-R-A-Y.com. That's an easy way to find me. And from there, you can reach my clinic. You can look at what I do. And, and, and like Dr. Harvey said, I think it's really important to get assessed by somebody that goes outside of the box and does a more um, individualized approach to help you figure out how not only to get rid of your symptoms, but also to reduce some of those other risks that come along with not having hormones and a functional medicine approach is the approach we both believe in. Okay. okay. Have a great day, Helen. Thank you. You're welcome.
Well, yeah, and thank you there, Helen. And I'd like to uh, remind folks we're getting down to about the last 10 minutes of the show, so the clock is ticking fast. And if you want to participate, give a call to 813-239-9663 or continue sending your emails to dj at wmnf.org. And we've got Chris from Clearwater on the line. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. I was uh, calling to see what kind of supplements you might uh, advise for balancing hormones. I remember when I had a desk job that uh, I couldn't lose the weight around the midsection and you know, had a donut around the belly button and, and, uh, and uh, the thighs but, or the hips. But uh, then I started taking dim methane and um, really did a good job because uh, I had been working out as much as I could and I still couldn't lose the weight until I, until I started taking dim and then I uh, started just um, eating more cruciferous vegetables, more broccoli since it has dim and, and uh, of course, I3C and all-3-carbonyl. Um, so I was wondering what you'd think about uh, dim or I3C, pregnenolone, um, and uh, maybe rather than uh, testosterone, maybe supplement precursors like tribulus terrestris, uh, zinc, uh, you know, different herbs uh, like fenugreek, um, ashwagandha, vitamin D, DHEA, things like that. Uh, absolutely. So as a nutrition professional, I obviously don't personally prescribe. I have prescribers in my office. So I use a lot of the things that you've talked about. So for the listeners, uh, a lot of the compounds that he talked about, the DIM, the indole-3-carbinol, uh, that helps your body detoxify estrogen compounds. And often we experience, men particularly experience that weight gain around the middle because testosterone can be made into estrogen and then you've got to get rid of the estrogen. So when that's amplified, men will start to gain weight just like women. So those compounds that are also found in kale and broccoli can help your body get rid of those estrogens. And using precursors, things like zinc, Zinc helps you synthesize hormones and your tribulus and, and there's, there's a host, horny goat weed, there's a host of you know, tongcat root, there's a host of herbs that sort of act as this stimulus to help your body make the hormones endogenously inside your body. And they can be helpful. They may not be enough, but with a healthy lifestyle and healthy diet, they can often be that first piece of augmentation. And then if you're still symptomatic and and your levels aren't coming up to where you want, I do believe that we want physiological levels, even if we're not symptomatic. Um, but then you can then move on to the bioidentical hormones. Wouldn't you agree, Dr. Harvey? I totally agree. And yes, I think um, that's that's my approach. I like to use <clears throat> natural uh, stimulation, using exercise, great diet, getting sleep, cleaning up relationships, doing all that, and mind work too, getting your stress down because you will divert your sex hormones to your stress hormones. So all these things need to be done foundationally. And then if you don't get a movement in the hormone levels, then you can consider hormone replacement. I don't want to use exogenous hormones if my body's going to make them. And so um, looks like we're getting a lot of cost in. So, Chris, I hope that helped. Um, yeah, let's move yeah, on to the next. Could I, could I just add, uh, beware of raw cruciferous vegetables because they're goitrogenic, they block iodine absorption. So, uh, yeah, I would supplement with a nascent iodine or good, good iodine if you're going to eat uh, raw cruciferous vegetables as I do because, you know, cooking uh, destroys the myrosinase that activates the sulfurophane that, you know, and all, the exactly. health, all sorts of health benefits in the cruciferous vegetables. And, and on testosterone, you know, I've seen people where their test testicles shrink because they've been using it like androgel so that's the nature of my question i just want to also lastly add uh, to increase bone density and mass uh, up to 30 percent per year i know the federal trade commission allowed the claim to be made for microcrystalline hydroxyapatite mcha so since you mentioned uh, bone density i thought i'd throw that in 
Thanks, yep, absolutely. Definitely. All right. Thanks, yeah, we do have a lineup here. I've got Kathy, Aaron, Mary Ann, and Dana. So let's go to Kathy. Good morning, Kathy. Uh, I just want to also lastly add in to no. increase bone density and mass up uh, to 30% per year. I know the Federal Trade Commission. I don't know why we're getting a. That's interesting. Kathy, can you turn your radio off? Yeah. There we go. Hello, Kathy. Hello. Um, I have a question also about um, supplements. I am um, I am just about to take on a, a <clears throat> adventure of getting testing and possibly doing bioidenticals. But the question I have is, um, I've been doing some herbal supplements. Um, one is one is is a nice magnesium, and then I have a women's herbal formula that has fennel and cumin and Ajwin and quite a few different things. Do you have to be careful with the bioidentical and then the herbal supplements together? And is that yeah. something you have to work with a practitioner on to make sure that you're not throwing off the game with the bioidentical? Thank you. So in many cases, a lot of the herbs that you actually mentioned, magnesium is involved in over 300 chemical reactions. Most of us are deficient. But a lot of your herbals can help sort of modulate some of those hormone pathways. This is where testing like that urine test, the Dutch test, would come in. In most cases, a lot of those herbs actually help your body get rid of those hormones once your body has used them because you want to use it. I think it's like a you know a tissue you've used it you want to throw it away so most of your herbs have some positive effect some more so than others but you can actually test for that so the dried urine hormone test actually tells you are you exiting those hormones out of the pathway so my recommendation is if somebody's doing hormone replacement or if they're experiencing a lot of symptoms during peri and menopause they want to check their hormone pathways to see how they get rid of it because they can select the right herbs that help make those pathways ways work better. And it always helps to have a practitioner monitoring those levels with you so you can really work together for optimal health because it's it's a partnership. And I really think that that's the key here is that we work together to create a new life for you. Yeah. Okay. I um, I think most blood work though, they're not going to cover a dried urine test. That's like a more expensive test, correct? Yes, that's um, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I might have to play with that a little bit. Um, okay. Thank you for that help, though. I appreciate it. Okie dokie. And we've got Aaron now and just about five more minutes left in the show. Good morning, Aaron. Hey, guys. Morning. Good morning. Hey, um, quick question about daily multivitamin. Is um, you guys recommended for a healthy adult, for kids? You guys got any preference there for a daily multi or what are you guys thought there? You know, our foods compared to, let's say, 50 years ago or 100 years ago, our soil quality is very poor. And it's poor across the world, not just the United States. So we don't have the same vitamin and mineral capacity in our food we did 100 years ago. So I consider a multivitamin kind of like a car insurance policy. It's something you put in. It's something you use to kind of make sure where you may not be getting a perfect diet every day and making up for what's missing in our food. And so I do think it's valuable in children and adults. Um, do I take mine every single day? I may not. I may take a you know multivitamin uh, vacation for a day or two because my diet was very clean. But I do consider it a insurance policy. And okay, the better quality, the better. 
yeah, the better quality multivitamins are going to have activated B vitamins and other vitamins like uh, methylcobalamin instead of cyanocobalamin. Um, and you can read more about these activated Bs and chelated minerals. There's one company that makes the best chelated minerals. It's called Albion. They have the patent on the original chelate. All the vitamins I recommend use Albion chelates because they are the most absorbable, the best tolerated. Absolutely. Okay. These are good for kids too? Absolutely. Just get a pediatric version of it. Uh, there's many companies, good quality companies like Zymogen and Designs for Health that actually make really high quality vitamins. Yes. Zymogen? Zymogen, X-Y-M-O-G-E-N and Designs for Health. Two different great okay. companies. Excellent. Yeah. So, you know, you're really welcome. And I think I'd love to take um, some more calls, but we're down to the wire. And um, I would, I think it's a really good question here. We can get out fast. Can a, a 69-year-old woman resume hormones? Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> you know, I would say, and you can, you know, this is, I would say, looking at the research, this is not clear. hundred percent not clear. The general consensus is if you've gone more than a decade without hormones, right? So let's say you went through menopause at 50, you're now 69, that estrogen replacement may be a little bit sketchy because your receptors don't work as well. Now, with that being said, if we look at progesterone replacement, they've used it in women that are menopausal and shown significant improvement in sleep and there doesn't seem to be an age-related change in that. So progesterone can still be advantageous. And some of the more recent studies put out by companies that do testosterone replacement for women show that it, it actually can be something that we could put in because estrogen also get, gets made from testosterone. So there's probably a small trickle down effect. So I think in some cases, this would be a case where you want to work with a practitioner that does bioidentical that will do the extensive testing and make sure everything's sort of getting cleared out properly. That's exactly the way I feel about it. And if you monitor it, I think you can remain safe. You just keep watching and you have to do regular breast exams and mammograms and things like that to make sure you're not inducing any problems because there is something that happens as you get older. You're at more risk for all kinds of diseases because your cells are already starting to change. And I want to thank you, Betty. This has been a really lovely show. So exciting to do this. And I just want to let everybody know that um, next week, we're going to be talking with my very good friend, Richard Horowitz. He's the United States and global Lyme disease expert. He has some amazing protocols where we're going to talk about finding Lyme disease and dealing with chronic Lyme disease symptoms. Um, Can I Get Better is his book. You might want to look at it beforehand. Um, it's really amazing work. H-O-R-O-W-I-T-Z. And remember, BettyMurdy.com because uh, you want to talk to her about hormones. And uh, this has been great. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Bill. And have a great week, folks. Well, it's been our pleasure. And I want to thank you, Betty, for being on the show, Dr. Murray. It was fantastic. Until next Monday at 10 o'clock, I want to thank everyone for participating. And Greg gets a special shout out. And so to everyone out there, take care, stay healthy. Y'all are the greatest. You've been listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. Coming on up is five minutes of NPR News, and then get ready for the Sustainable Living Show, hosted by the formidable team of Kenny Coogan and Annie Ellis. In the studio today is their guest, Kelly Hawaii, founder of Lufka Refillables, and she's here to discuss sustainable gifts for the holidays. So until next Monday at 10 a.m., thank you for supporting and listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa, your community-conscious radio station. Stay safe, stay thoughtful, and know that you are loved.
live from NPR.